We can't comprehend God's presence, not because it's somehow lacking, but because of its surplus. Uh, wow, that is a, that's a lot to think about. Well, uh, welcome everybody. Welcome to uh, our COVID service number seven, I think, maybe. Um, so, but I'm glad that you all... Uh, you all tuned in, showed up, uh, are, are here and, and with us in this moment. So just really glad to have you all here. Um, and like, I forget what we usually do next. Well, next we usually do some announcements. Oh, announcements. Yeah, okay. So uh, this week, upcoming this week, I think on Tuesday, I am going to do a load of whites. So, and I'm. I have something planned on Friday. I'm going to get some eggs at the grocery store. Okay, so um, you're all welcome to that. Um, and uh, I don't know what uh, what else we got to see. Um, yeah. Well, how's everybody doing at your place, Debbie? Uh, I'd say we've been better. Everyone's healthy. More or less, but how about your place? Yeah, I mean, like I think some some days you feel a little more shut in than others, you know, shut in, shut down. Yep, it's not a party every day. No, um, I like when the sun shines. That helps a lot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, I love seeing those trout lilies up there, down by the river, up at your place. Yeah, that really helps bring some happiness into life. What we mostly have now is like all this stuff that was exposed by the ice and snow that melted on the street. Nice, like dirty paper. Yeah, like that plastic. kind of a thing, huh? So. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I mean, this is uh, inspiring, I'm sure. But uh, let's time. Let's move along. Uh, we got some. Uh, we got some great things coming to the service. Of course, we got the hardest working band in the COVID band business. Uh, it's the uh, Mercy Machine. We got a couple uh, good songs from us, and then we're a guest artist this week. We got a song from Mr. Matt Arthur. So that's always good to hear from Matt. And then, of course, Debbie, you're uh, you are preaching. I am. Yep. And uh, so. Bring hey, it this on. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. I believe that's right. Won't you please join us in singing hymn number 29, Are You Walking and A-Talking for the Lord? Would you lend a helping hand to some poor sinner men? Are you walking and a-talking for the Lord? Would you stop and try to save on your journey to the grave? Are you walking and a-talking for the Lord? Are you walking, are you talking? Are you walking and a-talking for the Lord? Are you traveling in His light every day and every night? Are you walking and a-talking for the Lord? Will you roll be white as snow? Are you 
Join me now in the prayer of invocation. God of mystery and seemingly sometime mercurial hope, God of partially obstructed view and barely audible voice, God of always tomorrow and it's only sometimes now, it is the now that we are hoping for, the immediate presence we could use. Cut through our projections of you and exasperated, thrown-up hands and show your mercy now. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you all. Share the sign of peace with anyone who is around you. This is the old folk song, Kumbaya. This is the very first song I remembered in my night when I was in the Sunday school. And uh, Mrs. Gerlock, the Sunday school teacher, told me it meant come by here <clears throat> in African. And I don't know because there's a lot of languages over there. Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya, Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya, Kumbaya, my Someone's crying, Lord, Kumbaya. Someone's crying, Lord, Kumbaya. Someone's crying, Lord, Kumbaya. Oh, Lord, Kumbaya. Hear me praying, Lord. Kumbaya. You hear me praying, Lord. Kumbaya. You hear me praying, Lord. Kumbaya. Singing, Lord, Kumbaya. You hear me singing, Lord, Kumbaya. You hear me singing, Lord, Kumbaya. Come by here, Lord, come by here, come by here, Lord, I pray you come by here, 
Come by here, Lord, I pray. Come by here. Oh, Lord. Come by here. I invite you now to join me in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer with Lord in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, we are all of us alone sometimes, but some of us are more alone. We are all in isolation, but some of us are more isolated. We pray for those, our friends and families and neighbors, for whom loneliness and isolation are becoming nearly more than they can bear. Be present with them. Move us to reach out to them. Move them to reach out to us or to anyone to get the help that they need. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for all the first-line workers and healers. Let our love and prayers for them boost their immune systems and their spirits. Give them the strength they need to continue to care for those who need it. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for all those who are in need of physical, spiritual, and emotional healing. All those who are dealing with long-term illness, all those who are caring for them. We pray for all those who are mourning the death of a loved one and all those who are dying. Surround them with your love, your presence, your peace. We know that you are a healer and you are a comforter. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we have not in these times loved you with all that we have, and we have not loved those in our lives or passing through our loves. We've hurt them by things that we have done, left undone. We ask for your forgiveness, and we're confident that you judge us with your grace. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Meet us now this extended time of silence. Amen. The reading for today is from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 14. So now Israel... 
Give heed to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you to observe, so that you may live to enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. You must neither add anything to what I command you nor take anything away from it, but keep the commandments of the Lord your God with which I am charging you. You've seen for yourselves what the Lord did with regard to the Baal of Peor, how the Lord your God destroyed from among you everything who followed the Baal of Peor. While those of you had held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, just as the Lord my God has charged me, I now teach you statutes and ordinances for you to observe in the land that you are about to enter and occupy. You must observe them diligently, for this will show you wisdom and discernment to the people, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and discerning people. For what other great nation has God, a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other great nation has statutes and ordinances as just as the entire law that I am setting before you today? But take care and watch yourselves closely, so as neither to forget the things that your eyes have seen, nor to let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how you once stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Assemble the people for me, and I will let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me as long as they live on the earth and may teach their children so. You approached and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain was ablaze and blazing up to the very heavens, shrouded in dark clouds. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire, and you heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, which he charged you to observe, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on the two stone tablets. And the Lord then charged me at this time to teach you the statutes and ordinances for you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This might just be the kind of passage that could speak to us right now. Because if there's hope here, good news, God, it's not that visible. Or it's a bit shrouded in clouds, as Moses says. Moses is making a plea for something good and beautiful on the edge of one dark place before stepping into another dark place. You might think I'm just in a bad mood, but... Really, the people are about to cross over the River Jordan out of the desert into the Promised Land. But before they do, Moses climbs up on a mountain to make this speech, and really a whole book of speeches, that's what Deuteronomy is, to remind the people of the law and the covenant. It might seem like they're about to get out of a difficult place and move into a wonderful place, but as you probably know, that's not the way it goes. They'll cross the river, sure, but then there'll be more terrible battles, much more struggle before they rest in the land. In fact, 
there's not much resting in the land. Before they quit fighting other people and begin fighting each other. And eventually, the whole thing, the old promised land is taken over by a much more powerful empire and the people exiled. I mean, I'm not saying there weren't some nice happy hours. There was certainly good music and good food, if you could taste it, flowers. But life continues to be full of struggle for the people of Israel. Even after they get out of the wilderness, they've been wandering in for 40 years. Not a month or two or eight, 40 years. In fact, the whole generation that left Egypt dies before they ever enter the promised land. It's only their children that enter it. There wasn't any like geographical reason that the trip from Egypt and slavery to freedom and the promised land should have taken so long. It's not that many miles away. But they had a lot to learn. So the story goes. The people were constantly losing faith in God. They didn't trust God to take care of them. It seems like this wonderful thing to be liberated. But once they're free, they're immediately in the desert. Not an easy place to be. Maybe it's quieter. They were afraid a lot of not having food, of running out of water. They were afraid of dying. Moses keeps recalling in his series of speeches how hard the wilderness was. He calls it that great and fearful wilderness, the waste, the howling desert. God didn't abandon the people there, though most of the time they felt abandoned. God gave them The law. God gave them a way to live as a loving community, as free people who are nevertheless responsible to each other. It's a lot to learn. But Moses is excited by the potential, it seems, in our text, that this way will lead to justice love, wisdom, kindness, mercy. He says, if you can learn to be this loving community, all the other nations will look at you and think, what a wise and discerning people. That's the concept, which seems great. But it just ends up being so much messier than that. For one thing, the people never really learn to trust God. This is a big thing they're supposed to learn in the wilderness. They trust God. God will take care of them. They don't trust God. It won't go so well for them. The people don't behave admirably exactly in the wilderness. They seem to be sort of easily frustrated. But my gosh, I mean, it's no wonder. I have a house and a bed and a refrigerator. And groceries may be a little harder to get these days, but... I don't really feel like I have to trust God in order to feed my family. Sometimes I doubt God on my way to the grocery store and on the way back. And I still make it home with the groceries. The people in the wilderness can come across as ungrateful. 
They're free from slavery. Why don't they learn to enjoy the journey instead of complaining? They don't have meat. They don't have this. They don't have that. I mean, come on. They're in the desert. They're not only poisonous snakes. There are spiders and cactus. They are very dirty and there's sand in their beds. I mean, you know, you wake up and, oh, there's a new revelation. The virus is causing sudden strokes in young people. Also, the WHO says there's no evidence of immunity. Also, 265 million people may go hungry this year, even if they survive the virus. And then there's the press briefings by the president. Yeah, there are things to be grateful for. And there are bad things happening. You have to have some sort of outlet, some way to release pent-up feelings. And as far as outlets go... Complaining is not the worst thing you can do. I mean, God actually does some complaining in these stories. Seems to have a sort of ongoing attitude of dissatisfaction with the people. They don't trust me. They don't obey me. I'm going to kill them. God complains about the people and then sends poisonous snakes to bite people for complaining. This seems... Immature on God's part, to say the least, I think. The God the people encounter in the wilderness doesn't seem to be the entirely beautiful, life-giving lover we see in other places. Maybe that's what it's like in the wilderness, the dark night of the soul. God doesn't seem that trustworthy. God cries, How long will this people despise me? How long will they refuse to believe in me? Which sounds a little complainy and also vulnerable. I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. Sounds a little immature. God gets angry in the desert when God feels rejected. It's like the whole relationship of God with God's people is tinged with insecurity from all sides in the wilderness. The people think God hates them. God thinks the people hate God. And Moses goes back and forth trying to reassure everybody, trying to solidify the relationship, make peace. I like these stories about Moses. I like Moses. At Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, as Moses calls it in Deuteronomy 4, God is a consuming fire. But Moses climbs the pathway through the thick darkness, gets right up next to the consuming fire, and stays there for 40 days. I'm not saying he got comfortable with God, but you do get the feeling that they established some sort of intimacy. Moses certainly gets to the point where he's not afraid to talk back to God, not afraid to ask questions. Why, yes, God, are you angry with the people you freed? One rabbi writes about this and says, if this wasn't in the text, it would be impossible. Such audacity. It's almost like Moses is trying to coach God through the relationship. Don't act out of anger. Remember your promise. Remember love. Because you're on the edge here. 
of looking evil. And it seems like God is open to what Moses has to say. God says, let me alone that my wrath might burn against them. As if this wrath burning against them is only possible if God is alone. Maybe God hopes Moses won't leave him alone. Maybe God doesn't actually want to be left alone. I mean, that pretty much is the story we find in the Bible. You might glimpse a tyrant from one angle, but you step back a little and you see a God who passionately desires to be in relationship. A God who doesn't want to be alone. A God who's vulnerable. Love requires a vulnerability that power is powerless to create. Moses makes it clear that the people don't ever see God in the wilderness. No kidding. So they don't have a clear vision. Neither do we. But Moses is adamant this thing can work. Don't forget the way God reveals to you. Don't forget the ordinances. Don't let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. We have to keep moving toward love. Even when it seems like nothing is clear and the struggle never ends, complain if you need to. Fire away with the questions, but don't give up on relationships. So you know probably that the night before Martin Luther King was assassinated, he gave a speech to the sanitation workers who were striking in Memphis. It's called his I've been to the mountaintop speech. And it's referencing this moment in scripture where Moses goes to the mountaintop where he can see the promised land, knows that he'll die before he gets there, but takes the opportunity to urge the people to keep believing. King says, you've probably heard it. If not, you can find it on the internet. King says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. He says he'd like to keep on living like everyone else hopes to do, but he says he's looked over and he's seen the promised land. He says, says, I may not get there with you, But I want you to know that we as a people will get to the promised land. I mean, you could say, well, that wasn't true. White supremacy continues and continues and continues to be at the root of terrible destruction and injustice in this country. But what if people gave up after MLK died? Rachel Carson wrote Silent Spring in 1962. The title refers to the fact that it was eerily quiet because the birds were no longer singing, because they were dead. Pesticides were wiping out entire species. It must have seemed hopeless, hopelessly silent. But the book she wrote actually did something. Woke people up to the danger of synthetic chemicals in the environment was the beginning of the environmental movement. You could say, well, what good did that do? 
But I mean, what if she hadn't tried? There are birds that came back from extinction. I see an eagle almost every day. What if everyone had just given up? We're not all Rachel Carson or MLK or Greta Thunberg or Stephen Colbert. But what if we give up trying? We can't. If God were the kind of God who would swing in for a dramatic rescue, well, there have been a bazillion times you'd think God would have done so. Clearly, that's not how God works. God works through us. It might seem disappointing and scary because we aren't that good often. And we don't have that much faith a lot of times. But please, carry on, love, do justice. We'll fail. I mean, if the stories tell us anything, it's this, but don't give up. This is the Lord's table, and all are welcome. On the night before he was betrayed, our Lord took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, saying, This is my body given for you. Take and eat. And in the same manner after the meal, he took the cup and said, This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of all sin. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. You may now serve each other communion during this closing hymn. Won't you please stand and join us in singing hymn number 30, In the Garden.
And now may the God of sure hope and thriving grace be present before you.